Well, welcome to the Ramble Room. Some of you may have thought that I've been on quite a hiatus lately, but I can assure you I have not. Some of the people that pay a little closer attention to a lot of things here will know that for the last week or so, I've been standing in at Cowboy State Politics taking uh, David's place, and we had several good shows, and I would encourage you to go look those up. One of them was with uh, Tom Kelly, and it, it was a really fun one, one of, the, one of the more interesting ones that I think we've done in a while. And what it did was compare and contrast, and there wasn't much contrasting. The Democrat Party platform with the seven deadly sins. And I would encourage you to check that out. Um, another one, we had several legislators on talking about another issue. The very first one that I did was with my dear friend Tony Locke, who is with us today. Tony, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Ken. But of course Glad you Glad to are. be here. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's always doing great. I love him. Well, um, I'm here with my favorite people. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Um, he did say people, you might notice. That means there's somebody else here, and that somebody else is none other than Wyoming Secretary of State, Mr. Chuck Gray. Delighted to have you aboard, Chuck. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Really, really appreciate it. Ab- absolutely. And and the if the audience will forgive me using first names, I do not mean that in any way as a sign of disrespect. I consider both of these men friends. We've worked um, quite a few hours together, and uh, that's just who we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, first of all... Yes, no, appreciate all you do, Ken. (laughs) Thank you, Chuck. Um, Check's in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Exactly. (laughs) So, uh, the first thing I'd like to do is... Maybe do a little bit of a review here of what happened during the last legislative session. We had some victories, a crossover voting probably the the pinnacle of that. But Chuck, if you just kind of lead us through a little bit about what we were able to accomplish, especially pertaining to your department. Well, the passage of House Bill 103, the ban on crossover voting, having that lockout period, having a closed primary has been something we've tried to do in the legislature for many years. Every year I was in the legislature and started out there in 2017, uh, representing portions of East Casper. And and every year we try to get that done and just came up a little short. And when I was sworn in as, as secretary of state here on January 2nd, just this really became our number one priority. It was our number one priority for the session uh, to, to get this done, to stop the practice of crossover voting. And it's an election integrity issue. When you have Democrats changing parties at the polling place on the day of the primary, voting in the Republican primary and then crossing back on the way out, you've got a big problem. And, and, that's what was happening in Wyoming. So we, we got through a very strong bill. This was not a weakened bill. The, this, this bill had, had some punch to it. I mean, it's a 90-day close lockout period uh, for that closed primary, which is it's competitive with some of the strongest closed primaries in the nation. Very proud of that, and we're able to bring that through. And it was, it was a fight to the finish, Ken. 
<laughs> it was a fight to the finish on that one up to the day of of the bill going through because there were a lot of folks bringing in my opinion ridiculous legal arguments as to ticky tack things about how they thought the bill wasn't going to work because at the last moment they were trying to stop it when when it was clear that that we had won the day and and we were able to to push back and and our office was doing that to the to the finish line and we're really proud of of bringing that through you just hit on something that's one of my hot buttons is there were a lot of folks and a lot of different bills that we bring up and their main argument was what if and it to me it comes from a position of timidity and leadership is not timid leadership take a stand if you make a mistake it's going to come back and get you but you you suck that up and drive on and there's there were so many times that it seemed to me the argument against the things that we conservatives were trying to do was it might be unconstitutional you know well it hasn't been adjudicated yet let's do something and and if they make a case well, but then, then we'll know then what meanwhile, to do meanwhile there's yeah. a bill that is clearly unconstitutional that's yes. going through yes. and then we point that out and they and and uh, the uh, the other folks yeah. say, well, there's no issue or it has a bit of duty. I mean, there's not consistency with that argument, Precisely. unfortunately. Precisely. And, you know, at the end of the day, at the, at the end of the day, we got it done. And you're right that, that you got to have leadership. You got to be bold. You got to be strong. And I think at the end of the day, when those when those arguments are broad, it comes from a, a position of when they bring those arguments, that side is usually opposed to the bill. I mean, it's not oh, yeah. like, Hey, it's, it's not, Hey, they approach it with an open mind and then they find this, this loophole that they're trying to fix. No, it's, I think whatever way in their mind, they come to the conclusion that here's a way to, to stop a, a good bill. And that becomes an easy way to do it, to point out some little piece of it that, they're not they say they're not opposed to the bill but it's just they yeah. they have one piece that isn't quite right so let's wait another year that yeah that's that's the arguments they use and that's really problematic i i definitely saw that many times um and to be honest we do a little bit of that ourselves that's just part of the, of the debate on the floor and how that works but i i think that turned to be a little bit lopsided chuck what do you say to the issue that okay now that we've we've stopped the crossover thing so now we just have a bunch of people who probably if they were honest with themselves and with everyone else would be democrats but they realize that there's no future in that party so or they they claim that anyway so they just gonna stick with the republican party and trying to make a mess of what we're doing there do you have an answer for that I think some might do that, might permanently be in, in the Republican Party, even though they really don't hold those values. But I think there's also a group that just cannot stand to do that, to, to be in the Republican Party because they're woke. They're out of touch with our values. And, and so they've had this practice of switching on the day of the election or switching in the last three months or after the, the start of early voting. And I, I think that there's a group that just isn't going to, going to switch in and that's going to be good for having a vibrant primary process and 
individuals should affiliate with what party uh, represents their values. And I, I think there's going to be a large subset that sticks with their true party. And I, I think that that's going to lead to more vibrant primaries. I mean, I, I hope that you're right. And, and I, I tend to believe the same way. I think that they have done themselves a disservice and weakened their own party by not making their case. And I know, I know a lot of times I felt like, man, am I the only one that really thinks this way? And if you're hiding what you really think, just trying to get into the game, then everybody feels a little bit isolated. On the other hand, if, if people begin to realize, hey, there are a lot of other people out there that think the way that I do, they may not be a majority or they, or they may be, you don't know. But my point is that I think the Democrat Party or, or whatever you might call this collection of, of people would be stronger if they'd actually just come out and be honest and say, this is what I think. And I think they might be surprised at at the the power and the strength they might be able to gain. I think at the end of the day, people have to be true to themselves. And when they're switching into the Republican Party on the day of the election and switching back, that that says something about where they're at. And they shouldn't be able to do that. It's it's pretty basic. There's kind of a sense of the ends justifies the means. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't matter what tactic we take as long as we win. And I regret that. I, I would love to have good, honest debate. And one of the reasons I want good, honest debate is because I know that the conservative side will almost always win, especially in Wyoming. But that's that's just my opinion. Tony, you're being awful quiet over there. No, I it, it, great, great conversation. And, uh, you know, knocking on the doors uh, as we were campaigning, I found those two segments of people in the people that I talked to at the door. Um, <clears throat> some of them were the folks that they had just said, forget it. You know, I, I disagree with the Republican platform, but I'm going to have an R by my name so I can vote. And there's another batch that <clears throat> as, as uh, Chuck has said, you know, <clears throat> they're going to switch over and um, they're going to switch over, but then they're going to want to switch back. And so I think this does, Create, it, it may not create a fence as high as we'd like to see, because we would like to see integrity for each uh, each of the major parties, right, in terms of their primary elections. Um, but it, but I do think there's a segment on which it, where, uh, we do build a wall that makes that is appropriate and that makes some sense. Uh, the other thing that just jumps out from the conversation that you guys just had is we're talking about election integrity, and I'm just laughing about the fact that the mere fact that uh, these individuals are uh, are waffling and moving back and forth they're really not standing with any integrity on their true core values from that perspective and i i just found that sort of an an interesting component of the discussion (laughs) i i would tend to agree so we we did have some success with house bill 103 turned that and put that into law as we discussed any of these other things that came up that you might want to comment on, Mr. Secretary? Well, House Bill 279, uh, vo- voter ID is near and dear to my heart. We, we passed voter ID. Uh, I was the lead on that bill. We passed it, House Bill 75 in 2021. And it was a little bit of a loophole that, that we found being exploited 
where that, that voter ID bill said that all voting with an in-person nexus, and at some point I'd like it to be all voting, period, including the the absentee mail and voting, but all voting with an in-person nexus would need an ID. And that was what, what we were able to pass in 2021, and, and we want to continue to strengthen it. But there was this loophole where if someone had an early vote that was initiated in person and it was an absentee that they took off site, that they initiated in person by going to the clerk's office, the way the clerks read the statute, they thought that a voter ID was not required. And so we fixed that loophole with House Bill 279. That came to my attention. Uh, there were some cases in Albany County that were disturbing and, and uh, asked Representative Knapp to bring that bill and, and did a great job on it. Uh, we also were able to stop ranked choice voting. So we talk about the good bills that pass, but we also have to talk about the bad bills that we were able to stop. Yeah, and this ranked choice voting, Ken, is really a bad deal. You talk about the ballot exhaustion issue where individuals have 25 races with 10 candidates each and they're supposed to rank everybody or else their ballot is going to basically what's called exhaust, meaning it won't be counted because if the, uh, the, the candidates that, that you list are eliminated, then your ballot doesn't count. And this is one of the things that has moved elections in a leftward way in states like Maine that have this ranked choice voting. In addition to the fact that there's tabulation problems, we saw that in New York City, there's problems in terms of the time of, of counting the votes. I mean, you, you see in Alaska, it takes three, four weeks. In, in New York City, it takes two and a half, three weeks. Who knows what's going on in the interim? And, and, and it's just a bad, really bad deal. For, and the left is pushing it, and we're able to stop it. One of the arguments against runoff elections was just the cost. And, and yet when it came to ranked choice and the additional difficulties involved there, and anytime there's a dif additional difficulties, there's going to be additional cost. Oh, well, that didn't matter. It's, it's worth it to get, right. it's worth it to get an, an honest answer. But, but a runoff is not worth it. And the, again, we're back to this inconsistency that the principle is only subject to the whims of the moment. Yes. Yes. And unfortunately, that happens a lot in the legislature. It happens a lot in politics. Ken. <laughs> it does. And, and we, it does. <laughs> it's one of the favorite tactics of, of, of the group trying to push back on, on good conservative bills is to try to find some little flaw or add in a – Add in a uh, an amendment, adding costs to it, put in no. a fiscal note, whatever to try to, like you said, in their minds, a lot of times the ends justify the means, yes, and that's very problematic. Now another one we got through, as opposed to we we defeated ranked choice voting, but another good bill we got through was to clarify the early voting period to 28 days. 45 days was the previous early voting period, the tied for the longest in the nation. And it was just way too long in terms of having an informed uh, voting period. I mean, 45 days before, a lot of candidates haven't even put out a mailer. There's administration problems. The clerks were on board with getting this to a, a more reasonable time frame. The fact that we were able to lower that, that was a big 
a big win, I think, for election integrity, ensuring clean administration of elections, and, and also having sort of an, an informed election period as well. Exactly. It's also a big one. This affected me the first time that I ran back in 2020. Uh, people, I, I would be knocking on doors and people say, oh, I already voted. I wish I'd have known you were running. Exactly. You know, it, when you're when you're the new guy and you're trying to challenge an incumbent, uh, the incumbent always has a tremendous advantage, and one of those advantages, of course, is name recognition. But to me, this idea of an extended voter period is always an advantage to the establishment, and the establishment in this case in Wyoming are the very thing that the grassroots people are trying to rise up and and fight against. They're, they're saying over the last 40 years, we're not satisfied with the way things have been done. And so there's there appears to be this scramble to try to uh, confound the efforts of the grassroots to come in there. And, and I would say if you're an incumbent and you're doing a good job, you can you can tout that, and it doesn't matter who's thrown at you. We'll find out here in about a year or so how that works for me. You know, it's it's a, a vibrant process, but and and you need to have that debate, like you said. And when you have a early voting period that starts in the primaries case around July one, it's it's just difficult to get the word out to have six weeks of of mailers. Whereas this this will be a more it's it's. A generous period, but it's it's also uh, short enough where you, know, you can have a real vibrant discussion. And there's enough time for somebody to do the grassroots work in right. the early summer. Right. It, it affords an opportunity for everything to get out. Another thing that, that occurs to me is there, there are a lot of things where people know, you know, if this gets out, if this gets out, so hurry up and vote now before something might come out that that would change your mind. And I'm not trying to cast any dispersions on anybody out there but very few people are absolutely squeaky clean and it just seems to me that we need plenty of time for the press for example to do their job and go out and vet these candidates and look around and see if there's something that needs to come to light so that's we've probably beat that little horse plumb to death but now the uh, other thing we did ken we had, a, we had a really successful session. We stopped a bill that was trying to prevent the party from being the, the party from being able to fill vacancies. It was really an attack on uh, the Republican Party. And you look back, I mean, there's been vacancies at the state level and, and the party has sent uh, three to the governor, three names, to the governor for review. And they were trying to take that ability away. And, and I just think it's very important to have. Uh, the grassroots involved in that process uh, when there's a vacancy to have that sort of vibrant discussion. And we were able to stop that bill, which which was a uh, a fight, but glad we were successful in it. I, I am very much so myself. I want to move ahead a little bit. I mean, we could probably spend all day talking about what has been. But what is more important is where we're going from here. One of the reasons that I asked Tony to join us was Tony was instrumental in, in helping accomplish some of the things that we did in the last session. And I look forward to working with him and, and getting some things done here. So I would ask you, Mr. Secretary, I'm going to say that properly. I would ask you, Chuck, <laughs> give, me, give me three priorities in the budget session 
of, of th three things that you would like to have accomplished? One is getting a durational residency requirement. It's a huge hole in our statutes. When Wyoming became a state, our, our founders have were really prescient when they wrote the, the state constitution. Really, we're thinking ahead, thinking about issues that had, that had come up at the federal level. You, know, you think about the fact they did not allow a pocket veto in that state constitution. We're really thinking ahead, um, and, and there's a lot of strong provisions you see there. One of them that was ultimately struck down by the Supreme Court was having a residency requirement for voting. They had a one-year residency requirement for voting in the state constitution. Well, then the federal government started passing a number of bills and the Supreme Court in a 1972 decision where it went over to the courts, struck down another state's one-year residency requirement saying that it violated the 14th Amendment. And it was a 1972 decision, so it was sort of the same court that it did row, and it was that sort of thinking, that sort of mindset, very left, uh, out of touch, uh, not 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 with the conservative values that our country has. And then the Wyoming Supreme Court, the year after that, that Dunn case in 1973, struck down the state constitution's uh, one-year residency requirement, using using that federal precedent as sort of the the guide. And the legislature has declined to act in the interim to pass a residency requirement in statute, because in that Del Giorno case in 73, uh, the, the state Supreme Court did acknowledge that certain residency requirements are fine. But since then, the Wyoming State Legislature has declined to act, and it's a huge hole in our statutes because Somebody could claim residency at one point in time for 10 seconds, and it would be very difficult to prosecute it as an illegal vote. So if somebody was at a hotel, I mean, you could go through the scenarios. This mm -hmm. is a huge, huge hole in our statute. Especially, and, especially in a state like Wyoming, where we don't have a large populace, we don't have a lot of voters. There, there's right. just there's just I mean, a potential a there to swing you have a it. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, primary with fifteen hundred votes in the primary where where the decision is typically made in the Republican primary. You'll you'll have House districts all the time that have fifteen hundred votes. Yeah, a five percent win is a margin of seventy five votes. That's that's a, a swing one way or another of, of about 35, 36 votes besides the election. I mean, all the time races come down to 5% or less. I won mine by 38 votes. And, and what was it, Tony? Maybe you remember, was it Alan Slagle or somebody won by like 10? Yeah. So somebody That's won very tight. Yeah, 13. Very tight. Alan Slagle. Yeah. Because you're exactly right. It's uh, <clears throat> it's a very tight margins. And, uh, and interesting when you hear things like uh, poll watchers in Laramie County, for example, and I'm sure it's not any better anywhere else, but when uh, poll watchers in Laramie County say, hey, geez, we sat out in the parking lot the whole election day and 75% uh, or, or two-thirds at least of the cars all had Colorado plates, it makes you ask the question. Sure. It never hurts to ask questions theoretically. Um, what else is on? We've got the, the durational residence clause. Well, in the election sphere, we, we were able to get that 
the Corporations Committee agreed to draft that bill, so we're going to be hearing that bill at the August meeting in Douglas. Very important we get that handled. All right. Another bill on the elections area that we're trying to bring through the budget session is banning Zuckbucks. This is a, a very concerning trend nationwide where Zuckerberg, Soros, it's called Zuckbucks. They've been injecting hundreds of millions of dollars into elections. It's this private funding of elections. And they started it in 2020. They sold it as, oh, they're going to pay for hand sanitizer and uh, PPE. And, and that, that's the way they sold it. Well, about a half a percent of the dollars that they spent ended up going to that. And the rest went uh, for, you know, ballot harvesting, the Dropbox stuff that that was detailed in 2000 mules. 24 states have passed bans on these private funding of elections. It's really widespread, and it's a, a very strong basic bill, basic election integrity bill. And Wyoming doesn't have it. There was House Bill 224, uh, which was brought by Representative Singh, and uh, we worked with him on that bill draft, getting that getting that numbered. And unfortunately, I was not referred to committee. So, but we keep working. You know, one thing I've learned over time in the legislature and just being in politics, you just got to keep moving forward. And you get those wins like the crossover bill, a couple of the losses. Well, then you work on it the next session. Yeah. We asked the Corporations Committee to draft that bill, and uh, they agreed to do that. So very excited about that and hearing that in August. So, Chuck, uh, I think a third you, pri- before you do that, you mentioned earlier the pocket veto, and some of the folks that are listening may not understand what that is. But just now, you alluded to what the pocket veto is, uh, is by saying it never even got considered or it didn't get sent to committee. So, if you would elaborate on that just briefly. Well, what I was referring to earlier was that that in our state constitution, our founders were were very very intelligent, very forward thinking, and in, in Seeing that at the federal level, one thing that had been exploited is that presidents could pocket veto legislation that Congress had passed. And what what that means is if the president declined to act, meaning didn't issue a veto or sign the bill, then the bill would still not become law. It would just die in the absence of being signed. Well, our our founders were very saw that as a little bit of a, a problem, and I think correctly. They said, look, if, if a bill goes through the process in the legislature, the governor's got three choices. He can sign it, he can veto it, or he can allow it to become law after a certain period of time. It's three days while the legislature's in session, 15 when the legislature's not in session. And if he doesn't act during that period, then it becomes law without a signature. So there's no ability for the chief executive, in this case, the governor at the state level, to basically prevent a bill from becoming law by declining to take action. He has to issue a veto. And and that's that's really, I, I think, a strength in our state constitution, another, another really forward-thinking and I, I think they had some debate on it there in 1889, and uh, I, I think they it's a strong provision in our state constitution. Now, what you're referring to is a little different, which is uh, a bill that, that doesn't get sent to committee or there's not some, some part of the process that doesn't get heard in committee. And, and that is one way a lot of times that, that 
Bills are defeated. I, I will say there is a constraint on time in the session, which is actually another strength in our constitution that, Absolutely. that there is a sort of a, a constraint there, but, but bills like that, that are slam dunks, it, it would be nice to get them heard. And it was uh, disappointing. We were not able to get that one heard in committee and, and look forward to in August, having that as a bill draft at the Douglas meeting. Now, right. a third priority for me is getting a handle, stopping this ESG stuff. This, this ESG, Ken, it's a woke clown show. This is really bad stuff. They're trying to deny capital to core industries here in our state, coal, oil, gas, ag. It's driving a lot of these outrageous, offensive, anti-American campaigns we're seeing from Bud Light and Target. I call it Target. I mean, I didn't, I I was just reading an article that, that part of why this is happening is because these companies get higher ESG, higher social credit scores. This stuff comes out of China, this concept of a social credit score. And that's part of what's driving this wokeness, this out of control wokeness that we're seeing around our country. So even though Bud Light so, loses a little bit of money in sales, they gain it a, a financial advantage through ESG. Well, and, and I think there's no question that, that they're, they're driven by their, their woke sort of paradise, and I put that in air quotes, that they think they're building. But there is sort of that ESG score element there that is unfortunately driving these out of control campaigns that they're doing. And that's something that hasn't been reported on a lot. Well, there's a lot of angles to taking on ESG and and the legislature unfortunately has declined to act on this. So in our office, we have regulatory oversight over broker dealers, investment advisors, stockbrokers, so we issued a rule. We're starting the, the rule promulgation process for a rule that says that if any of those entities try to sell an ESG product, they have to disclose what they're doing and that this is not profit maximizing. They're trying to turn on its face the, the principle of a fiduciary that has been, been central to investing in our country for centuries. And so they're going to have to disclose that. And if we bring that through, that's going to be really the, the first official anti-ESG action in our state. And, and at the same time, have been working on the SLIB, finally got some movement there. We had been trying to get that done. I tried as a legislator and, and now as a member of the State Loan and Investment Board, which has oversight over our state investments, we're working on an anti-ESG policy. And, and I've been trying to beef that thing up because the way it was initially drafted before the board, it was kind of one of those things that it was kind of ticky tack, you know, it didn't have some strength. So I'm trying to beef that thing up because we've really also got to make sure that, that no state funds and we have quite a bit in our permanent funds that we've built up and been forward thinking on that over the years. We got to make sure none of that interacts with any of this ESG woke clown show agenda. And that's that's a challenge for Secretary or for excuse me for Treasurer Kurt Meyer. Um, obviously, if he's he's given the responsibility of trying to get the best return on investment that he possibly can for the state, 
And the more that we curtail, you know, who you can do business and, and who you can't, the more difficult his job becomes. And from what I saw, I, I just think maybe that there needs to be a lot more discussion, uh, not only among the slim board, but the slib board, excuse me. But there needs to be a little bit more focus and I, I guess what I'm saying is it, we, we know there's a problem and we had some ESG bills that were shut down, I think, horribly. Uh, Senator Beitman was, was right to be disgusted with what happened in committee there. Um, but I, I, I do think that we really need to approach this more thoroughly. Well, it's, it's time to act, and our office is doing it, and, and through the slip board, we've uh, been, been making sure we're going to bring through that, that anti-ESG statement, and then also we have our rulemaking, which uh, we are promulgating those rules. So that's, that's All right. a step forward in taking on ESG, because unfortunately there hasn't been any action by the legislature. All right, so now we have our marching orders. Tony, we know what's next. Um, so we absolutely yeah. and ESG is is definitely a weaponization. If you really think about it, I wish, I, I hope to get this word out to more and more Wyoming people. They need to understand their tax dollars are being invested with companies that are turning around and using this ESG process to cut the throats of the very businesses that pay their salaries. This is a vicious vicious cycle that ESG is being used, and ultimately it won't stop the businesses as it uh, as, as it proliferates. And so, uh, Chuck, hats off. Thank you so much. Well, and, and you've done great work on property tax. I mean, kind of focused on the areas that are in our uh, specific duties. But there is something that came across our desk as a member of the State Board of Land Commissioners I wanted to talk a little bit about on, on property tax. And it's just out of control. As a member of the legislature, could, could see that, that this was going to be a huge problem in 2020 and brought that cap bill in 21, which was the, the first time that that cap bill had been brought, at least in my study of the, the previous four or five biennium and biennia. And you know what they said at the time when we brought that? They stopped that bill. And you know what they said? We were talking about sort of ticky tack excuses earlier. Mm-hmm. They said, that this is just an Atrona and Teton problem. That's what they said at that time. Yeah. The the folks that stopped that bill. And then we saw what happened. I mean, it, it just. But the argument wasn't that different this time, even though out of the 23 counties, there might've been oh, that's eight, outrageous. 18 I mean, or gotta, so where it, there it went on. Then the immediate cry was wide. Yeah. The immediate cry was the poorer counties. They're going to suffer because you're going to hurt them. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. It's happening everywhere. This out-of-control property tax. We got to have a cap. That's that's the answer. I really believe that. That and is. It's not just a an Atrona Teton problem. As a lot of the folks that have been trying to stop these property tax bills, that's been one of their tropes. I mean, you can see it, they they sort of come up with two or three lines, and they email it out and the media gets it out for them and they just repeat the line over and over again. And, and uh, this is a statewide problem. And that, that cap is, I think the answer. It, it is certainly an answer. Tony, you got any thoughts on that? 
and, and trying to push that cap and, and thank you, Chuck, for giving me the fodder that I needed and, and giving me the opportunity to support. I know the work that you had done before me trying to push that cap into that uh, constitutional, you know, that resolution. Um, you know, we fought hard to get it in there and we were just were not able to get it in there. And it's kind of interesting. There, there's uh, the group that's selling that uh, resolution to try to split out the fourth category. Um, the people are saying, oh, they're going to do that, use that opportunity to help us. But the truth is, if you look at how far hard they fought to get the cap out of that bill, that makes it clear how they're going to use that resolution uh, for the people of Wyoming. And it's, and it's not going to be to help them. Absolutely. That's been my mantra is that this is a, this is a wolf in sheep's clothing uh, they're going to throw you a little bone and maybe say, you know, your primary resident's going to get a little bit of a break. But they're going to have to make that up, and they're not going to allow the wealthiest to have a tax break. And, of course, then the taxes will go up on income properties. And all that does is put a tax on the folks that are out there trying to lease that property, the folks that can least afford it. It's It's disingenuous at best. And it is not a solution, not to mention the fact that it just opens the door for that much more monkeying by the legislature in, in tax rates. I think the answer is that cap. I really do. I mean, you could talk about the fourth class. I, I personally don't think it, it's going to be that negative, but I also don't think it's going to be that positive either. Um, I, I, think, I think there is a chance they come back and, and lower it a little uh, once that breakout happens. And that's... That's great, but where is the the reform that is needed to really fix the problem? I mean, that that's going to be eaten up in three months with the with the rate increases we're seeing. In my opinion, that may be found in Mark Jennings's House Bill 100, the acquisition. Um, I I'm very intrigued by that, and I helped him with that, and I want to see that. I think there's some reform there, in that we're we're restructuring how we do things and how we look at things. It may not have all the answers, but that's that's a reform as opposed to just throwing somebody a bone and, and giving a little bit of a break while the main problem still is there. I definitely agree with that, and, and I, I might be slightly more skeptical than Chuck, um, just knowing how hard they fought to get the tax the cap removed, because I agree with you 100%, Chuck. The, uh, the cap was really, truly... The right answer, and of course, the only component of it that was real reform, and so um, I was definitely in favor. Of well, they they should have done it all at one time. I mean, that was why I worked so hard to put that language in there. Is is this breakout? Maybe they lowered lower the assessment ratio a little bit with that broken out residential, but the real answer, what's gonna gonna stop it from growing and eating up any decrease in the assessment ratio, is a cap. And that, that was that language that unfortunately was taken out of the resolution. Okay, so I want to move on to another side of your office, Chuck. I get a lot of questions here in Sheridan about a particular address at 30 North Gould. And at that address, it's a business that does a registered agent. They literally, thousands of businesses are registered there because Wyoming has some pretty lax LLC laws, and I'm, I'm a pretty big advocate for a lack of regulation, whereas is possible. On the other hand, there are some issues coming out of this, and I wondered if you might speak to that. 
Well, we got to get a handle on it. And, and there are some abuses that I've seen. We've already had a few cases come across my desk that we've uh, gotten compliance on our, on our statutes. And uh, we continue to use the audit authority that, that we're granted in Wyoming state statute to, to fix those issues and to ensure compliance with the law. We've had an opportunity to talk to several things. What have we left out? First of all, Mr. Secretary, what what would you like to say well, to the folks that you haven't had an opportunity yet to do so? Well, first of all, call me anytime. My number is 251-1372, obviously 307 area code, 307-251-1372, anytime, 24-7. You have a question, concern, something you want to talk about, uh, give me a call. And working hard on the State Loan and Investment Board, the State Board of Land Commissioners, those are the two uh, boards that all the five statewide elected sit on. Uh, really been working hard on, on divesting uh, state funds from China. Very concerned about, about that uh, when, when I entered office five months ago and, and we led on that issue and we were able to, to exit, remove passive investment in our last meeting from China. That's about a, ended up being about a hundred million dollar divestment. So uh, China is, is really, what they're doing is inconsistent with American values. We really need to bring that money home, uh, those those dollars in our permanent funds, and and focus on on the home front. And so I've been working on that. Also been pushing back on a lot of these uh, schemes to to sort of give money to to politically connected businesses that I don't think are appropriate. There was this proposal uh, for millions that were given to this plenty which is doing this vertical farming in, in laramie and this is a business that has investment from walmart it has investment from driscoll's they, they don't need wyoming state funds and funds above the cap that is set in rule that the state loan and investment board is is allowed to give a private business and what happens with this these sorts of grants is it creates disincentives for capital investment for the businesses that are losing in this circumstance, the ones that aren't able to be politically connected and, and get these grants. So was the only no vote on that on the slip board. Proud of that vote. I think we need to be very careful, you know, that there is there is a role for those for those funds that come from for, through the state loan and investment board. And I'm certainly pro-economic development. I'm I'm tired of the insiders and the left. Uh, using that term against us because I don't think what they're doing by picking winners and losers and giving these state funds to politically connected businesses, that's not economic development. In fact, it's the opposite. It's preventing growth in our, in our, in our, in our great state. And I've been really evaluating each of those cases that have come across our desk on the state loan investment board and voted no on that one. And there's other cases like it. I mean, I know we don't have forever to talk about it, uh, but that's one of the things that happens on that board. And I've been uh, very careful in making sure that, that have conservative votes and conservative leadership on that board. Well, we definitely appreciate you being there. We, we need all the help we can get and you have been a stalwart and will continue to be. So um, I thank you for what you're doing there. Thank you for the years that you spent in the legislature and for the hard work that you did. In in looking forward, uh, excuse me, 
in looking ahead to 2024, this to me is a very, very pivotal, consequential election. You know, back in, back in the day when you first got started, there were three, four, five, maybe six conservatives in the entire legislature. We've built that number up now to at least two dozen, probably 26 that are pretty solid. Still not enough to really leverage our way, although in the budget session, it's, it's enough to stop a lot of bad things from happening. Um, what are your thoughts about the 2024 election? Do you, do you think we're, some of us are saying that we're just riding the wave and that, and that it's going to get better, that we're, we're on the increase, and others are saying we've already hit the peak and we're on the way back down, and uh, you got any thoughts? It is so important that we have a government that represents the conservative, common sense values of the people of Wyoming. And I think the, the growth in the legislature, the growth in uh, statewide electeds of grassroots conservative candidates is a very positive thing for our state and something that uh, it's, it's important that we continue to grow the, the grassroots in our, in our state government. And uh, that, that leads me to one more question. You've been around this business a lot longer. You probably forgot more about this than I'll ever know. But one of the things that disturbs a lot of us is when you go to a committee meeting, and I'm going to be attending here in a couple of weeks, uh, the Revenue Committee meeting here in Sheridan, and looking forward to seeing Tony again in that one. But when you go to those, they take testimony from all the agencies. They take testimony from this, from that. And at the very end, if there's any time left over, they allow some public testimony. That's one of the things I'd like to see us change in the rules. What do you think the chances of that are, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think bringing amendments to the rules, that was something I always did as a legislator to try to move the rules in a, in a more grassroots conservative direction. And I think that's another way that, that we could do that is to, and it's, it's pivotal, it's central to make sure that, that those committees hear from the citizens of Wyoming. Don't run out of time. Don't have these time limits that we see that, that the government is really listening to the citizens of Wyoming. That's, that's pivotal. Yeah. As it stands right a, now, the, that would be a welcome rule. Yeah. As it stands right now, the government is mostly listening to agencies that depend on it for funding. And I, I don't know how many committee meetings, especially here in the interim that I've attended. And that's what I see. And the, the one element that gets shoved out of most of the discussion is public input. And that is who we're here to, to serve. They, they, to me, should be the predominant force. And that's not what we're seeing. What about you, Tony? You got some thoughts? You said it all really here. It's really critical. It, getting, getting the rules changed and getting the priority in this particular case, talking about the priority of who speaks and when they speak. We are here for one purpose, and that's to represent these people. Right? And yet we, uh, these committee meetings in this process has stacked the deck against them and put them last on the list. It's definitely an issue for us to address, for us to look hard at. And, and uh, I just, one of the things I do want to say is I just want to thank Secretary Gray for all the uh, support on a personal level he's given me, as well as all that he's doing for our state. I, I can't thank him enough. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Here, here. Well, thank you. 
Thank you, Representative Locke and Representative Pendergraft. Thank you. Any last words, Mr. Secretary? Well, thank you for all you do, and thanks for having me on the show. Call me anytime, 251-1372, 307-251-1372, would love to hear from you, or you can text me. And, uh, and if you're down in Cheyenne, let me know. love to have you in our office and, and talk with you about future and, and your thoughts on the future of our state. Well, thank you very much, Chuck. And for those of you that are listening, he wasn't just talking to Tony and me. He's talking to you. You you give Chuck a call. You do it yourself. And stop in and see him. You'll probably run into Joe Rubino down there. He's one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Uh, He has to be to keep up with our good secretary. And uh, they're great people. They're very open. They're very transparent. And they're there for you. And uh, they're not kidding. And I, I don't think, Chuck, I've ever heard you speak, and I've heard you speak many, many times, that you haven't given your, your personal phone number out like that right off the bat. And I, I commend you for that. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. And thanks, Tony. Really appreciate it. Appreciate having you both. We look forward to more discussions in the future. In the meantime, God bless. Yes. God bless you guys. Thank you. God bless. See you soon. Bye.